Hi, I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And this week, on This Week with Larry Miller, and that's right, there is a show this week. We're coming back in the new year on January 9th, but this week, I tell the Christmas gift story for Uncle Arnie of Does He Drink Coffee? Or, with the accent, Does He Drink Coffee? Tune in, and we'll see you soon. Corolla Digital. Hello, my little shish kebabs. It's me, Allison. Before the show officially starts, a few words. Gary, do we have some iTunes comments of the week? Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. All right. Our iTunes comments of the week this week. We have three. The first one is from CrankYanker05, and it is titled, I Love Allison. I've listened to Adam's podcast for years and have loved hearing you as a news girl. Thank you. I was so excited to hear when you started your own podcast exclusively. You are quick-witted, hilarious, and cute all at the same time. Your interviewing skills are truly one of a kind. I love when I plug in and it just sounds like I'm eavesdropping on a phone call you're having. Keep up the great work, Allison. Thank you. And the funny thing is that if you were to eavesdrop on a phone call I'm having, it would be so much shorter because I'm not good at the phone. And I also don't like that thing where you're on the phone and you try to talk and the other person tries to talk and then they can't hear you and you can't hear them and then you have that awkward like, no, wait, no, no, sorry, no, no, you go. So let's just be thankful this podcast is not that. And thank you. Okay. All right, our second iTunes comment of the week comes from NJ Povio, and it is titled, Just Started Listening. I'm a desk squad slash nerdist person, so it's an accomplishment to lead me astray from that voluminous, um, voluminous? voluminous amount of programming. You have an awesome show and some really, really, really weird listeners. It's Thanks for podcasting. Thank you for listening to me podcasting, and I would just like to say to all other desk squad and nerdist people... Um, or no, I'd like to say to this guy, bring your Death Squad and Nerdist friends over to have them join the fold um, because I think we should all be friends. And I think everyone knows I've made my intentions clear that I want to be Death Squad. I don't even know what that means. I think it involves going to Olive Garden. But both, mostly I just want everyone to love me. So if you could um, be an accomplice in that, that'd be great. I love you. Okay, next one. All right, our final iTunes comment of the week comes from Tara Boom, and it is entitled Charming. I love the David Tell episodes. Allison brought out a side of him that I've never heard, sweet, vulnerable, and endearing. As a regular listener of the show, I really appreciate Allison's interview style. She's funny, but not in a showy, look-at-me way. Not she always. maintains a balance that, that lets the guest's personality come forth in, in an authentic way. I love you, and as always, I feel somewhere between... Very obnoxious and downright off-putting in reading these very flattering comments. But we do it because I have a fragile ego, but also because in order to stay high in the iTunes charts, you have to have lots of comments and people clicking five stars and subscribing and a lot of activity. Well, no one really knows, but basically it's it, those are the things that help keep you high in the charts. So um, so I need you guys, you know, if you want, no pressure to uh, to to leave reviews and click five stars if you like the show. And this comment highlights, I mean, this segment highlights that and is also very self-congratulatory. And I was saying to Gary earlier that to temper it, I was thinking, well, maybe we should also read it. 
negative review, but then I couldn't even find one. Just kidding. I could. And then I thought, no, I'm going to save this for the Hey Go Fuck Yourself segment because that's what it's for. I'm not going to repurpose a shitty comment. But all I'm saying is if you're thinking, I don't know how I feel about this, Allison, you seem kind of obnoxious and or you sound obnoxious, then I just want you to know. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, anyway, you know what's not obnoxious? but is delicious sherry's berries these are gigantic strawberries like strawberries that are juicing huge juicy delicious strawberries dipped in chocolate dark chocolate white chocolate swizzle nuts fancy fancy beautiful chocolate dipped strawberries and the chocolate is thick too now it's not like um it's not like something that is like electron dipped it's 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 like half an inch or so of chocolate. Um, And they make really, really great holiday gifts. So if you're like me, thinking, I love this time of year, but I hate how stressed out having to find good gifts for people makes me, then this is what you need, because everyone who receives Sherry's Berries, and I've asked everyone, they they couldn't be more overjoyed. And then they decide they want to give Sherry's Berries to their loved ones. So, you know, it's it's like that. That's how it works. And they are starting at 19.99, which is an over 40% savings and my listeners that's you guys can double the berries for just $10 more. And by the way, they don't only have strawberries. They have all sorts of other things that make incredible gifts, chocolate dipped deliciousness. Um, to access this special 1999 Sherry's Berries offer, call 866-FRUIT-02, or even better, visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com, and click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in best friend. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in best friend. Order now. Offer expires Friday at midnight. Um, don't wait, you guys. Just don't. And by the way, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. When when uh, a promo code is provided, not only does it get you a deal, but Sherry's Berries will be, be looking at who comes to their site via my show. So if you want to support the show and support your friends having awesome gifts, then uh, go to Sherry's Berries and use the promo code BESTFRIEND. Okay, guest for this episode, which you are about to hear, is Greg Fitzsimmons. He's funny. He's kind of perverted. And uh, we get into all of that. And you can hear me on his show, Fitzdog Radio. And that comes out, I believe, December 21st. And by the way, uh, another thing that you might be interested in, I hope you are... And will be and have been. All tenses of interest are perfect for this. Um, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Live from the LA Podfest with guests Doug Benson and Greg Proops is available now in the iTunes store for $1.99. Special bonus uh, episode. And you can get that in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. Okay. I love you guys. Here is the episode. Hey everyone, hi. Hello, it's me, Allison Rosen, and welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. My guest today is Greg Fitzsimmons. Hello, Greg. Hey, Allison. Uh, I've noticed you brought your laptop with you. Are you hoping to do some work while I'm talking to you? Well, sometimes you'll ask me a question and I won't know the answer, so I'll Google myself 
or Wikipedia myself That's smart. and research it. Is that where you'd go for your Greg Fitzsimmons info? Would you go to IMDb? IMDb is not quite up to date, but you got a lot of a lot of stuff is on there. Yeah, idiot savants. Well, idiot no, savants. I think that's that's on Wikipedia. Your Wikipedia page, by the way, has that big warning at the top that's like, "This is this needs better sourcing." And blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. And I feel like the Wikipedia lords are. They could crack down any day now. So what does that mean exactly? Like, isn't Wikipedia just anybody can put up any fact? Yeah, and then it can get, yes. And then so it why gets, would it have that okay. disclaimer on mine? I don't know. Gary, do you know? I think you have to have a certain number of uh, people confirm it. You have to have a certain number of Wikipedia editors to confirm the information. So if just one person goes on and puts a bunch of facts on, they put that disclaimer on there until more people go on and confirm it and put the same information. Okay, so I need some people, if you're listening, go to my Wikipedia page and confirm the stuff. If you if you know it's fact, like that once... Mm. I, if that's uh, no, just knowing it. See, I know because Wikipedia erased my existence when I was what? living in New York. When I was living in New York, someone created a Wikipedia page for me, and then it got like salted or it got do I don't know. Like someone flagged it or something, and they said I wasn't notable enough, even though uh, I think I'm notable enough, and I think I was then. But so anyway, then. I started – like there's all these sort of minutes in – if you click on a certain link, you can read the history and all the people were – there. Like it's like they almost follow like parliamentary procedure and there yeah. was either like salt or do not salt or someone like like the nicest mean prison guard, you know, was like don't – maybe it was do not salt because she might become notable enough. <laughs> like it appears that she will become notable <laughs> enough or something, you yeah. know. So yeah. now – Based on their rules, I believe I am notable enough, but someone redirected it so it just – when you click on my name, it goes to the Adam Carolla Wikipedia, mm-hmm. Adam Carolla show. Yeah. And I haven't really cared enough to try to get it, it was Gary? Who, who originally erased me. No, who redirected it to the Adam Carolla no. show. No, I don't. I think it was some well-meaning person. Because I get a lot of like, you know you don't have a Wikipedia page. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, maybe you need to do because sometimes you'll look up like, um, uh, let's say, temple, right? Mm-hmm. And then it will say university for temple for temple university. Click this right for Jewish temple. Like so, maybe there needs to be like an Allison Rosen with your what's your middle name? Michelle Allison A M Rosen. Why did you not pick that as your radio name? I know. A.M. Rosen. That up to me. Oh God, that's, that's so good. good for someone who exists on podcasts. Yes, I know that would have been so good. Oh my I'm like, God! I like the, the counterpoint to F M Bradley, porn star, right? Yep. <laughs> or uh, or Storm Field, the weatherman. Oh, or Dallas Rains, weatherman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, an art teacher named Mrs. Painter. Wow. And I know some kids who had a dentist named Dr. Smiley. Really? And it makes you wonder I had what would a, happen uh, if your name was like Fred Volva. I had a, uh, a an English teacher in college, and he taught the, uh, about the transcendentalists and, mm-hmm. you know, Whitman and a, a lot sure. of the homoerotic literature. And he, his name was Professor Seaman. <laughs> I like that. At Boston I, University. Yeah. I had a kid whose last name was Seaman in my uh, class in school, and everyone would laugh, and it took me a while to get it. What, you mean after you took a load in the face? Then mm-hmm. you got it? Yeah. You know what? I, I jotted a note to myself 
uh, in the uh, the little notes part of the iPhone. It was just a joke because I was like, maybe I'll tweet this, but I won't. But or if I ever need to get on stage and do stand, I don't know where I'm going to use this, but here here it is. You never forget where you were when you learned what Bukaki is, especially if you just did your makeup. <laughs> but see, it's not that funny. But no, that's it's, fine. Anything with Bukaki in it, you're. I'm already halfway in. It's because I actually do remember. Where I, I remember learning what it was, it was just my friends. Now her husband told me we were in New York at a bar, and I thought, I've never heard of that, but ever, it's gross. Has anyone ever tried to do that? Shoot a load in my face? Yeah. Um, no, although, no. And uh, I've never tried to do it to a woman. Where do you like to put it? It's just inside something warm. I mean, I don't understand why you would take it out of a warm, right. slippery place. To grab with your own hand. Also, I don't think maybe when I was young, I had the trajectory to really make a make a statement with mm-hmm, it. Right. And now it would be like, like dribbling over my knuckles, and then I would have to flick it onto Ugh. the face. Now, right, like finger painting with the back of your hand. Um, yes. Huh. So the velocity <laughs> decreases as you get older. Oh yeah. Because I'd never really thought of that. No, when I I remember the first times I did it, like literally, you give yourself a bukkake. Mm. And then it gets to where you really um, the the belly button is the under over. That's your that's the bar has been lowered right. to your belly button. It's your Mason Dixon hole. Yes, and now it's just uh, can I get it to come out of my penis? So ha- my balls are really the line now mm-hmm. that I try to get past. What happens if it doesn't come out? Jeez. Then I just go back to work. <laughs> Save a little for later. Have you tasted it before? No, you never have. You've never tasted never yourself. Never tasted my semen once in my life. And, and look, I'm an open book. I'll tell you anything. I know. Never tasted my Why? own semen. Why aren't you at least curious a little? Not at all. Not in the least. I've. I'm not. I never <laughs> ate my own boogers. Hold on a second. <laughs> you seem like genuinely surprised that he hasn't. Do you imagine that most guys have? Uh you know what? Now that you mention it, considering that most guys would then think that that makes them somehow gay, probably not. Now that I think about I it, I do no. think it's like a homophobic thing. It's well, not... but would you kiss a girl after she goes down? You know, yeah. So in yeah. that way, yeah. But after, I, I would say there's probably like a forty. There's like a forty second buzzer on that. Yeah, I mean, you need to. That shit needs to cool off. But... You got to let her swallow a couple yeah. times. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, wipe I, wipe her mouth. Yeah, but yeah, but you still you still kiss. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's her. not that you want to. It's that you it's like to. she's challenging you mm-hmm. not to. Right. Like if you didn't, she would immediately go, oh, so I can swallow the sh-, you know. So you know she's doing that. So you got to look her right in the eye and you got to kiss her and you got to pretend you're fine with it, but you're not fine with it. Right. So the answer is yes, you have. Now, Greg, I think of you kind of as a pervert. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you? Yes. In How? Well, there's I'm, a lot of. It's funny. All my questions involved extra syllables of just me going. Eh, mm, eh. It's like I couldn't because <laughs> you're alone what, in a room with a pervert. A little maybe. bit, maybe. Yeah. I uh, well, when I was a teen, when I was a you know, uh, I would say puberty age. I was I did a lot of touching myself, and I would uh, have sex with pillows, and um, I stuck a pencil in my ass a bunch of times while I was masturbating. That's Which when end? I, the eraser. Okay. I think I was trying to erase the bad things that had happened back there from a priest. For I real? Thought, I thought I could go in there with the eraser and rub out the memories 
Is this did something really happen to you? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. It was an eraser joke. Yeah. It's funny. Thanks. <laughs> and uh you know, just weird things like that that I would do would make me think, God, I don't think other people do this. Mm-hmm. And um How far did this pencil go in? A couple inches. Well, there's a lot of nerve endings in your anus mm-hmm. that you can get that you can stimulate. Right. As you, I'm sure you know. Have you had anal sex? I haven't. Have you ever had somebody put a finger back there? Well, sure. Yeah. And it's nice, right? It's, oh, see, as you said that, though, I was remembering having to have, um, have an exam that involved a full finger back there, and that wasn't nice. Well, that's very different. Yeah, it was very different. Um, sure, yeah. And it's nice. Yeah. So for a guy, it's the same nerve endings. And so I think while masturbating, it felt nice to stimulate myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people, pencil. though, are very much like, hell no. Yeah. They have the whole... A whole hell no policy with the back door. I had a girl do it once to me. She was like a real guidette in Boston, and uh, she had long fingernails. And while she was blowing me, she stuck her finger in there and she tore the uh, the tissue. And oh. it was like it was like a week before things got right back. Yeah, there. was it painful at the time? Oh yeah, I immediately lost my erection and uh, had to be excused. Ugh. Put it a little damper in the evening. Yeah. But back to this pencil. Yeah. Why a pencil specifically? Well, I wanted something small, but that mm-hmm. had a little punch. <laughs> right. And now you're married, though. I'm married, and I think you can still be a pervert when you're married. And I don't even, it's like I hit on my wife almost constantly, and then she'll have sex with me sometimes. <laughs> and it, like if it was up to me, I think we'd be having sex a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I masturbated yesterday, and it, was, uh, it had been a while. And it was really intense. What's a while to you? You know, like f- five days because we had company. Six days. You're right. This is the time of year where a lot of people haven't touched each other or themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was. In, I have an office that mm-hmm. I go to write. I go there to write. But I really also, I've been living in this house since July. And I realized that recently I masturbated for the first time in the house. Because I just, I just go to my office. Yeah. You know, I've got this big overstuffed armchair with a with an ottoman, and I just <clears throat> I just masturbate there. And um, I did it yesterday, and it was like the amount that came out was frightening to me. But at least it came out. It did. It certainly did. Now, do you use materials? I'll go on the internet and I'll look for videos of uh, women that have been tricked into auditioning for a porn movie that's not really going to happen. It's a Is whole genre. A, I didn't. I did not know. Yeah, it's called casting couch. Gary knows though. Gary, you familiar with the casting couch? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's just something so vulnerable about when. They come in, and a lot of times they're being told that, and it's, that vulnerability is a thing that turns you on. Yeah, okay. well, because they're I'd not. Like let it be known that my first official feeling creeped out moment just no, happened. No, no. What's creepy is when a woman is staring in the camera and acting more turned on than she is because she's like a porn star. Mm-hmm. And I prefer like she comes in and she thinks that she's going to be modeling or perhaps doing some nude modeling. Right. And then the guy will ask her a bunch of creepy questions and then ask her to take her clothes off, which they'll she's surprised because they don't think they think they're coming in just for a meeting to talk about it. And then when the guy says take your clothes off, they always like you can tell it's real because they stop mm-hmm. and and you can't as you can tell from porn, like it's not easy to get people that will be porn actors that have any ability to act whatsoever. Right. And there's a moment where they're they're surprised, a little frightened, 
where they go like, really? <laughs> and then they take their top off and then their pants and then they'll get them to, you know, fondle themselves. And then the guy will say, and now you have to uh, blow me. And they, they, their head always goes back like, what? Like what? Cut to like, they do it. And then they make love with the gentleman. <laughs> I'm sure make love is exactly what it is. Now, yes. And then do they get hired? Like, what happens? No, there's no job. I know. Well, there's, no there's this video, though. There's video. There's a lot of video. And ha- it's, okay, it's always in like, you know, one of these like uh, mini mall top. You know, second floor, windowless offices, mm-hmm. stucco. Right. Leather couch. That's about it. You're sure these are real? I, without any doubt whatsoever. I, I will send you. I, I'm not going to send it's you okay. links because that's great. Yeah. No, but I want you to look it up. I I'll, want you I'll to look fun. it up. Okay. Go um, to like uh, Red Porn or no, Red Tube. Go to RedTube and look up casting. Do you and, imagine that there are a bunch of them that don't ever make it onto the internet because the girl said, hell no? I'm not. I don't know the, the the logistics. I would imagine they get them to sign a waiver at the beginning, and then also I think um, I think these guys. Uh, I picture them moving around a lot at night right. to a different office so that like an angry boyfriend doesn't come and kill them. Like punked porn journeymen. Yes. Um, but when they when the women leave, is it like okay, we'll let you know if you get the job? Or at that point, are they ever told? Usually, there's a there's a dripping bukkake shot, some confusion, and right. then cut out. It's a hard cut out. So you don't you don't get. There's not like they show a picture of her and then some words on the screen explaining what happened. That would literally <laughs> be the definition of anticlimax. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. All right. How did you meet your wife? Porn. <laughs> no, I met her at the Friars Club in New York City. Mm-hmm. I was a member and. Uh, a friend of we had a mutual friend that I was sponsoring for a membership, and so the there's a ceremony when you get inducted, and so she brought Aaron with her, and I talked to Aaron for like twenty minutes, and then I told her friend, our mutual friend, I said later in the night, I go, I'm going to marry your friend someday. Was this a thing that you often said? Never said it in my life. Wow. Three years later, uh, took her to the Friars Club in the Mer- Milton Berle room where I'd met her, mm-hmm. asked her to marry me. And we we slow danced to uh, Unforgettable because a homeless guy sang it to us on our first date, gave her a big fat ring, walked her down to a French restaurant, and then we went to a play on Broadway, and she wasn't even looking at it. She was looking at the ring the whole time. <laughs> then went to the King Cole room for to meet some friends for drinks and celebrate, and her friend was there, and I said, uh, do you remember what I said to you the night I met Aaron? And she goes, what? <laughs> and she didn't remember. She <laughs> fucked me. Then it started snowing out, and we went across the street to Central Park, and we took a carriage ride through Central Park. Oh. Threw a move on her, got shot down. What? Threw a move on her. Got, got shot, shot down oh, after sorry. giving her a diamond? I yeah, thought you... I know. What I... the fuck? Not even a hand job. What? I thought you... I know. It's a blanket on your lap and everything. Yeah, what the fuck? I know. What do you Snowing. make of that? Snow. Well, I should have walked away. I should have said at that moment I should go Asian. <laughs> An Asian chick, yeah, would have been giving me a foot job, yeah, and that would be something you're into. You ever seen their feet? I mean, I'm sure I have because I'm sure I've been around Asian people in the summer. Yeah, in a flip flop environment, They're, they. But I haven't sought it out like I suspect you have. The flip flop to me is like cleavage. It's like foot cleavage. Because there and there's like four little toe bosoms. One, 
Yeah, two, there's four little three, four cracks. Yeah. I like when they put a little bit of glitter in between each toe. People do that? And like a little crucifix in between each one. <laughs> How do you feel about tattoos about the toes? Tattoo around the toes? It's just in the toe a little white area. trashy. Yeah. I could see if it was a— So uh, like a pristine Asian foot with glitter in it is your favorite? <laughs> yeah. I wanted her to look like she kicked a leprechaun. <laughs> okay. And now nail polish or no? I don't know why I'm plumbing the depths of this one. Ideally, I'd like there to be no no uh, polish. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be polish, red, like a like a deep red, nothing trashy, maybe a light blue. So you really have like a classy foot thing. Yeah, I like it classy. But more importantly, I like it to be as symmetrical and as balanced as possible with a tan. Yeah. Is symmetry a thing for you? Yeah, I don't want like that's why I prefer the Asian foot is that there's a there's a nice there's a nice angle to the tips of the toes as you go it's rounded mm-hmm. whereas an American woman's foot and no offense because I haven't seen your feet but very often there's one toe that's about an inch longer than the other ones and then the pinky toe is all stubbed up and with like almost no nail like a little sliver of a nail. Yes. Wait, are you talking about? Do you mean symmetry? In one foot, or do you in mean one, the two in, feet? I'm sorry, in one foot. Right. I like there yes, to be. No, I don't have the second toe that's longer than the first. That kind of freaks me out. Like it's giving you the finger. Yeah. Like what's that index finger doing in the middle of your toe? Yes. Of your foot. Yeah. yeah. And, I don't have and, that. And, and you, know, um, you know, a hard callus on the heel yeah. is obviously very unattractive. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of vein is nice, but she shouldn't look like she's a power lifter with her feet. But a little bit of vein is nice. A touch. A touch. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about your feet. They pale? I imagine they're pale. Well, yeah. It, wouldn't I'm it be, fine with that. It'd be weird if I had tan feet. That would be strange. Although, I went through a phase where I was applying self-tanner just to my legs because I... The idea of putting self-tanner like on my arms and chest and face freaked me out because I figured I'd turn in like get like orange and splotchy. Yeah. I don't know how to do it right. Yeah. Because the thing with the self-tanner is that you have to wash it off your hands. You can't have it on your palms. Oh, that's right. So I don't know how people put it on their hands and arms, but no, they don't streak their – just the whole thing was well, like – Well, it's like the guys – how do you put on that penis enlargement cream without making your hands turn giant? It is like that. So you would tan your feet. You'd self-tan My your feet. feet and legs. But then it's like I would wear skirts and uh, I didn't match. I had these yeah. tan legs and then yeah. I had a pale rest of me. I it's, actually used to try to tan the rest of me too though. Like I would you know, lay in the, try to lay in the sun and get as much color as I can. And then I realized I don't think I look good with the tan. Also, it must be a struggle because you're naturally, like myself, more of a fair-skinned person. I am. So even if you get a tan, it doesn't last. Mm, it does not. That's right. So back to your feet. So do you have a – is your big toe uh, disproportionate to your other toes? Is it a giant big toe? I don't know if I'd say giant, but it is bigger than the rest, yeah. Well, naturally. Right. Are Asian women's big toes not bigger? They're bigger, but I would say, you know, 175% larger than the next toe, which is about right. Whereas yeah. uh, some American women will be like 450% larger. <gasps> and it looks like. Um, I'm going to go like 210% okay. larger. That's nice. Okay. Um, what was it about your wife, though, that made you fall in love? What was Feet. your dating history before that? Um, I had a couple long term relationships, mm-hmm. but I was. Uh, uh, I was not necessarily that faithful in all of them. 
And uh, in between them, I was a madman. I, I put up some pretty big numbers. Mm. Not quality. I was a quantity player. I don't think there is a way to have high quantity and high quality. Fidel Castro. I he mean, has his, his people go out to the beaches and they, he has two women a day. Is this morning true? And, yeah, morning and the evening. Not any longer, but yeah. apparently 35,000 was his number. Wow. Yeah. What's your number? Well, I don't like to get into hard numbers. Uh, give me a ballpark. Unless yeah, you about a ballpark. <laughs> I shouldn't have said something that I wouldn't be able to. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the, Like, are we like three digits? Oh, yeah. Four digits? No. Three digits. Yeah. But but high. Three. Actually, I didn't get three fingers in all of them, but like <laughs> mo- like at least two in most of them. A lot of them were young. Uh, let's go back even further. Terrytown, New York. Yes. Raised Catholic. Yes. Lots of Catholic guilt and that whole thing. Yes. I, I will tell you there is nothing that affects me more in my life than still the – because I was really into it. I mean I was a very – very Catholic kid. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all forced on me. I really dug it. I, I liked the whole concept of it. And uh, I prayed to God a lot. And um, I thought, I still think Jesus is probably about the coolest guy that's ever been. But um, the shame of it, you know, the sexual shame and the feeling of always being bad and never really being good enough. And yeah, it was really, it was really detrimental. But did some part of that appeal to you? I mean, did you? F- did you I think feel what appeals to you already? is what I think what appeals to you is what's been sort of branded onto your your you know your hard drive. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know at a very young age, you know, you learn about Adam, you learn about Joseph and Mary, and even at a young age, there's something that you go, well, so she was immaculate, so she wasn't touched by sex, so she's the best woman ever. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus had to come out of a non-sexual thing. Um, just things like that, I think, are are sort of like subliminally put into you to make you think about sex in a bad way. Yeah. And uh, so I think that I was predisposed to um, feel good about the shame. You know, to feel, there's something that you can really uh just bathe in yeah. of like i feel shitty and that's how i am right and then maybe that led to a lot of my perversion in life was acting out against that mhm um siblings yeah i've a brother who's a year older and my sister's uh three and a half years younger and do you get along with your parents my dad died a long time ago sorry that's okay and my mother just flew out 2 days ago how was that? It was brutal. Oh, yeah. I saw your tweets. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, a great lady and she's really sweet uh, and fun. Uh, she's fun. Number one, fun. Likes to cocktail, tells a great story, laughs really hard. People remember her forever and they ask about her and they're mm-hmm. excited to see she's her. She's like a character. Not so much a character. is just really Irish, just really outgoing and, you know, fun. Mm-hmm. I love that you just use cocktail as a verb. <laughs> yes. Some people do. Yeah. That's awesome. That's but as very opposed Irish to too. wine, where it changes the meaning of it. Yeah, and there you go. And or booze, where it's just real sloppy sounding. Yeah, boozing. Actually, wine is her drink, and you can like she drinks red wine, mm-hmm. and you can tell how drunk she is by how purple her teeth are. Yeah, it's like a thermometer. Mm-hmm. And she would drink a lot of wine, and then take a sleeping pill, and then <laughs> my kids would ask why why grandma was passed out on the couch at seven thirty. 
So that's fun. And uh, and then there's just always the – I call my mom the human suggestion box. <laughs> no matter what situation comes up, she's got an idea. Mm-hmm. She's ready to spitball it with you. Well, that's uh, – you don't seem to uh, really embrace that though. Well, it, it calls into question what she feels about your life and your judgments yes. and your decisions. Yes. See, I find – this is what I've realized lately. Parents – seem to have this sort of thing like if you're walking out the door they have to say drive safe or this is a real that's a real uh a real kind of bland non-offensive example yeah. but drive safe but yeah. then you might be prone to think what are you saying that I don't drive well and it's yeah. like no they certain parents just feel compelled to give the speech and, it, it, and, and it's longer than drive safe and it makes you think they have no faith in you as a human being yes and, and I think it starts unwrote. as a child, like, yes. don't play with that dish. You're going to break it. Not it might break. Mm-hmm. You are going to break it. And I think for her, like, at one point, I swear to God, she just said this. I said, yeah, you know, I'm 46, you know, my hair fell out. I think, you know, it's pretty tough in Hollywood to get as many auditions and stuff. And she goes, have you thought about getting a wig? <laughs> Well, have you? <laughs> I haven't, but I've decided that every time I see her from now on, I'm going to get the worst wig I can find <laughs> and wear sh- it. <laughs> uh, it's nice, though. She's ready to help. She wants to help. And I talked to my sister about it for a long time yesterday. And uh, it's coming from a place of wanting to feel necessary in your mm, life. Yeah. And part of it is overcompensating the f- fact that she doesn't feel that intelligence. So she's trying to sort of show that she can have these thoughts and these suggestions that can help your life. And mm. so it's what's hard is that um, she is insecure and she gets very paralyzed. Like when it – like she, if she's at our house and then something comes up where you have to say something to her like, hey, Ma, do me, don't, don't say to my kids that, you know, like don't play with that plate you're going to. Like I'll say that to her. Like, you know, we don't raise our kids that way. We don't try – we try not to shame them when they do something wrong. Just things like – and then you don't know. She might hear it or it could ruin the entire trip because hmm. she will shut down yeah, and become paralyzed and just tune out. And then I so I said to my sister later, we were talking about um, how she goes to church, but she told me that she doesn't like when the priest says that you have to vote against abortion, which they were doing during the last election. Your mom doesn't like that. She didn't like when the priest said that. Right. And I said to my sister, I go, do you think she's pro-choice? And my sister said, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I said, well, that's probably good, you know. Um, that's that's good that she gets so emotionally shut down when she's under stress or we may not have been born. You know, like her <laughs> emotional paralysis led her right to have you guys to just have us. You were you were not planned. My brother was a was a marriage baby. Mm-hmm. And then I was I mean, you don't have another kid 12 months later on purpose. Yeah, that's an Irish twin. They call it. What was that like growing up with a brother so close to you in age? I prefer not to talk about that. Really? Yeah. It's probably the only thing I won't talk about. All right. Wow. This is suddenly tense in here. doesn't have to be. All right. Um, Well, so what was your mom like growing up? Um, She was, you know, she was fun and she was great and uh, very caring and affectionate, but you know, depression. We have depression in the family, and she would really just withdraw. She'd just mm. go in another room and read a read a book. 
You know, there was a lot of that. There was cooking that showed very little care, you know, just a canned vegetable and uh, some pork chops that were bought in a shitty store, the cheapest ones, and no seasoning and burnt and and just no salad ever and little glasses of milk. Remember those little shrimp cocktails that you get in those little tiny glasses? Yes. I used to love those. And yet now, for some reason, the little uh, the shrimp that are that small, like there's something disgusting to me it about that. It seems like the most vile thing. Yeah, because it's like, oh, look, a giant sea monkey. I mean, it's not <laughs> yes. that, but it's Yeah, it's just, like a brine shrimp. It's weird. Tiny, alive things that from the ocean don't that doesn't appeal to me no like yeah. they never had a Tiny chance sea boogers it's like little abortions they're mm-hmm. little seafood abortions you're right but i but you as a kid i loved them is it because i was smaller i think just the whole idea that they had like little sailor wheels on the side of the glass yeah there was a whole nautical <laughs> theme which was fun and it, right and it had like a steel top you screwed off because mm-hmm. what what screams fresh seafood like <laughs> a, jar. a jar yeah nothing nothing um and what was your dad like he was uh, bigger than life. He was a radio guy. He was one of the biggest radio guys in New York my whole life. I didn't know that. Yeah, I should was, have known that, but I huge. didn't. Yeah. He was huge. What was his name? Bob Fitzsimmons. Okay. And um, so he was a man about town. I mean, he, we grew up in – Tarrytown is basically where Mad Men was set. Mm. So my dad would hang out at the best restaurants in the city. He was a celebrity, and we had season tickets to the Giants and the Mets and walking down the street, hey, Fitz! And – you know, it was just very – it was very cool. He drove mm-hmm. a Lincoln Town car and uh, he was a big dude from the Bronx and very tough and, and he drank a lot. He was – you know, he's an alcoholic. And um, it was it was mixed. It was very mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, he was not always around a lot. But when he was, it was like a party. Um, what kind of radio did he do? Talk radio like this. Uh-huh. And it, what made you want to be a performer? I think definitely that. Um, I just found a picture the other day. My mom gave me some pictures because she just moved and she was going through her closet. And there's a picture of me in a plaid blazer, a reddish plaid blazer, um, at a microphone at a swim awards dinner. And I was a horrible swimmer because I just I did gymnastics from the time I was little. Mm-hmm. And I just you can see me. I'm very I'm very thin, and I've always been very yeah. muscular but thin. So because of gymnastics, I just had no body fat. And I would sink. Like Mary Lou Retton. Very much like Mary Lou Retton, except with that fucking hot little shelved ass of hers. Mm-hmm. God damn it. The way the top of her thigh, the inner thighs, would just kind of dig in, and creating more of a pouch for the butt cheeks. So yeah. for me, when I would go in the water, I would sink. Like a setting. Like a, like a ring setting like for a the ring jewel setting. that was her butt. Exactly. Is. I yeah. don't know what her butt's like today. Well, okay. it's not bad. Maybe you had a body more like Nadia. It was more similar to Nadia. Okay. That's right. It was a sadder. It, it looked like uh, starvation and, uh, you know, year-long summer camps. Did your uh, gymnastics affect the age at which you got your period? I'm a guy. Oh, okay. So I went, I didn't <laughs> – I sank – and then I would go uh, – I went to the Swim Awards and I, ca- I came in like seventh in something. Mm-hmm. But they still call you up to give you a trophy. And uh, there's a picture of me and I, I swear to God, I must have been – I couldn't have been more than nine years old. And I grabbed the microphone and I started thanking everybody, <laughs> including like Jimmy Carter. Uh. And, uh, and so 
that was like my and I was fascinated. Like microphones, if there was a microphone, I was grabbing it. And other kids would sing. I would tell jokes. And I read <laughs> I read joke books and like comic strips. Did you strips. read Truly Tasteless Jokes? Yes. That is I mentioned this recently to someone and they had no idea what it was. I loved that book. But way before that cuz that would be like when you're, you know, 10 or 11, but mm-hmm. I would read, you know, Charlie Brown and like any comic strip book. Yeah. And then as I got older, I read like Bob Hope books. Like I loved Bob Hope because mm-hmm. I loved his setup punchline style. I just loved that. And Johnny Carson and so I uh I collected comedy albums, and then by the time I was in high school, I, I did a, a talent show in high school. So I really like – people say, was that your dream to be a comedian? And it was like not really because I didn't think that – I didn't feel like that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like it existed back then. You know, Being a comedian didn't feel like a dream. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a, kind of an obsession with the idea of knowing about it. And, and, um, and then I was lucky enough to – be at an age where comedy was booming in college, and so I started doing it in college. Where did you go to school? Boston University. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I think my dad had a lot to do. He would emcee these charity things in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, he would get up, and he had his funny stories, and he'd write, he'd shit on wh- whoever was there, kind of like roasty, mixed with like Irish stories about the neighborhood. And so, uh, yeah, I think he was uh, he was a huge influence on me in many ways. Like, uh, you know, many facets of my life, I still think about what advice my dad would give me. You know, when did he die? He was fifty. So, um, God, I don't know. A long time ago, I was like twenty three. Did guess. he? Did he see you perform? Yes. Very proud of me. You know, he's very proud of me. He uh, supported me a lot, and I would go on his radio show, and he he plug my little like showcase sets in the city and no and his friends just to this day will tell me how proud he was i think if he'd been born later he would have been doing the same thing Mm -hmm. i actually i was talking about this recently i was just saying that i feel so profoundly not prepared for the loss of a parent yeah and yet i know that it's you know uh, unavoidable unless something happens to me soon which I don't think it's going to. I mean, hopefully. Would you so, prefer that you died before they did so you wouldn't no. have to go through it? No, I'm too greedy. I don't want to. Oh, I mean like you like in an ideal universe where I could live my full life, but... No, like you would have to take a dive early. No. Do you think about how much you would inherit if they died? Like is there that bitter... Is that Only that recently. guilty thing of like <laughs> you've thought about it? No, no, no. Only recently... Did that thought enter my head? See, here's the thing. I have a dad who's a lot older than my mom. So the idea that I would lose both of them anytime soon, I don't think that's in the cards. How old is your dad? He just turned 79. Jesus Christ. Yep. He cranked you out late in life. He did. I know. And and I have a younger sister, too. He has two kids from his first marriage. Okay. But, yeah. But. And does he call you guys the Viagra kids? This is before Viagra. Oh. But he does call us that. Yeah. It's <laughs> I never understood it growing up. Um yeah, so like when we were were little, I know that it used to bother him that people would think that my sister was his granddaughter. Yeah. And then my mom, you met her actually. That's right. She kind of looks like my sister. When we were younger, I think they thought like if the three of us were at it be like, "Oh, sisters." It's like, yeah. "No. That's our mom." That's pretty – well, how much older is – 16 years. Wow. Yeah. 
And when I was younger, I used to always want to date older guys. Yeah. I think it was just sort of my model. What's the biggest age spread between you and the oldest guy you dated? Um, I made out with a guy who was like 23 years older than I was when I was in my early 20s. So he was like my age. He was like 46 years yeah, old. Yeah, I think he was 45. And you made out with him. Yeah. See, I could see I had that. a big crush. I had a big crush on him. How did you know him? We worked together. Oh. And I had a crush on him, and he was in a relationship. And then and, – but we were friends. Uh, and then one night on the phone, he actually kind of like propositioned me. But th- that sounds – that's it wasn't prop. Well, he flirted with you. He suggested coming over and like hooking up. And you said, and I said, I what did I? I said I just don't think that I like what what if that happened? What would happen on Monday? You know. So it wasn't about the age. It was about the work thing, and it maybe was that about he was in a relationship. Honestly, I so I actually lost a time. I I lost a tiny bit of respect for him when that happened because he wasn't like, I would like to take you out to dinner. You know, mm-hmm. he was like, I would like to come over and have sex with you and yeah. then we can act like it didn't happen. Yeah. And at that point, I already knew that that was the kind of situation I shouldn't get involved in. I mean, I spent many years making the wrong choices where guys were concerned, but I was sort of coming out the other side of that, I think. So I just – the idea that he wanted to just have sex with me, I think maybe it, it – it disappointed me because I liked him, liked yeah. him. And I think I especially liked him when he was unavailable. Yeah. But then sometime later when I no longer worked there, um, we made out a little bit. I have to say one of the one of the most exquisitely sad things is when you're dating a girl who's improving like you, like she was – Kind of burning out, bottoming out with being mm-hmm. in bad relationships. Right, like self-improving, self-improving. Yeah, and you're with her and you realize that this isn't a good relationship. Yes. And then she's trying to – she's struggling to get out of it and you are you know you're pulling her back into it. Mm-hmm. Like I was dating – not even dating this girl. I had a girlfriend and then I met this girl who was just smoking hot and just sexy and soft and, and she – would tell me that, uh, you know, we would really flirt hard on the phone. Like, I used to masturbate talking to her. And she kind of knew, I think she kind of knew I was because she would stay on the phone. She would talk, like, really sexy on the phone. But we weren't talking sexually. Right. We were talking normally, but she would talk sexy. Were you trying not to, like, heavy breathe on the phone? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know she could tell. And then uh, I broke up with this girl, and she was, like, my first call. And she came over, and I mean, it was literally one of those like open the door, pants drop, like grinding like crazy. Mm-hmm. And then we had the most intense sex. And then it happened like once or twice more, but those kinds of hookups. And then she said that she this isn't the kind of relationship she wanted because she was going to uh, Sex Anonymous. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And so she was trying to work her way out of it, and I was trying to keep her in that space. Mm-hmm. And event, and she she worked out of it, and I was so sad on many levels, you know, that I wasn't going to have sex with her anymore, and that uh, that I was dirty because I was trying to get in the way of her progress. 
So in order for her to better herself, she had to not have sex or not or was it there was something about her relationship with you that was I think unhealthy that for because her? it had started the way it did, I right. don't think that she felt like it could turn into a real relationship. Do you feel like part of the reason the sex was so hot is because it was um quote unquote unhealthy? Well, she she really like me, like when I make love with a woman, it's intense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like hard kissing and groping and uh there's oral sex that's performed, you know, to the to the extent to which the woman wants it to be performed a long time and then when i make love there's many positions and there's a there's an intensity there's eye contact and it's almost like somebody going on an lsd trip is deep mm-hmm. she was like that also so it was crazy sex right and as i could tell it's not healthy i always knew that when i had sex with somebody it was not healthy how did way- you know it was crazy. I mean, it was just so fucking crazy. And women would react to it. They would be like, that was, I think they thought it was probably the best sex they'd ever had, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But they were almost intimidated by it. Go go on. So when somebody acted that way towards me, I think I realized that must be what it's like when I'm with a woman, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not like a balanced shared emotional lovemaking it's like an animal right you know not rapey but powerful like women want to be taken they want to be taken control of and not hurt but but you know controlled in a in a gentle way controlled how did you realize that just trial and error so was there some kind of like meek non-powerful sex happening first that didn't work for you? No, it was never mental. I think for me it was very much like just being in the zone. Like I would mm-hmm. get my chemicals going and then I would just I would just go with it in in a kind of a you know, really in just a space, just a, a non non-thinking space. Mhm. And it seemed to work out pretty well for everybody. So what you're saying is you think you were probably some of the best sex a lot of women have ever had. Without a doubt. I'm also very well endowed. Okay. You all right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm fine. I'm just – just. sometimes I can't tell with you if you're being totally serious. I'm being 100% or if you're serious. joking a little bit. 100% serious. Could you I make... wish you could take callers because somebody out there probably slept with me. Oh, God. We could tweet. Do you think they're on Twitter? Probably. Hey, is Gary around, or did I just get a new producer? Uh, he's just using the restroom. I'm a temporary producer. Did he get so turned on he had to go to the That's restroom? That's what it was. Yeah, he was listening to the story. He's like, Matt, hang on. I might need a few minutes. <laughs> I, You know, Gary has never had to use the bathroom while we're doing the show. We could be onto something, guys. If he comes yeah, back I think he's flushed. taking a big shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is what we need, Matt. <laughs> I don't know if you can do this. We need someone to tweet out, have you ever had sex with Greg Fitzsimmons? We want to talk to you. But sure. I'm trying to figure out whose account we should do it from. I mean, See, it should I don't be know. from My Mike. wife probably wouldn't appreciate Oh, you're right. A... Okay. Now, let's just say I'm going to arrange a call in from somebody that I've made love with. Or two, All right. I should say. But we can't, I mean, not in the space of this show, right? You just no, it'll have to be a follow-up on a, on a later show. Right. Some celebrities. Are we, do we name names? Because it'd be great if you did. Wanda Sykes. You've had sex with Wanda Sykes? No. I used to write for her, though. <laughs> okay. And you used to write for Ellen, right? For Ellen. I wrote for a lot of women. 
Chelsea Handler, I was the head writer over there. I didn't know that. Yeah. On the Chelsea on Chelsea Lately? She had a show on E before this one, which was a sketch show. What was that called? I think it was just called Chelsea. No, the Chelsea Handler show. Huh. And Chewy was on it and uh, a lot of the same writers. And it was uh, great. She's e- she's even better at sketch than she is at talk. What's she? What's working or writing for her like? It's very collaborative. She's there. She's in the room. She's got a strong voice. She knows exactly what she likes and doesn't like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's ballsy. She'll do anything. We had a sketch where uh, she was adopting a kid, and she started breastfeeding the baby <laughs> in the adoption office. And she pulled her tit right out. Mm-hmm. Nice. Her tit was nice. Yeah. But is she nice? She's very nice. What's Ellen like? Chelsea's great. She's just, um, you know, fun. Fun to be around. Who else have you written for? Uh, Bill Maher, Louis C.K. What's re- working with Bill Maher like? He's um, he's tough. He, yeah. He's tough. Tough in what way? He's hard. You know, if he's not happy with the way the show's going or just not happy in general— uh, it can be tough to be around, mm-hmm. um, but funny as shit, and ultimately knows how to get good writing out of the writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Gary's back. Let's find out what happened in there. Oh, he's... Gary, you're sweating, and you've got some uh, fettuccine Alfredo sauce on your forearm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's exactly why I went to the bathroom. By the way, I was turned on by your story. I don't believe that. I don't to be believe the case. it either. I don't care. Reality is reality. All right. Yeah. I've decided let's not interrogate him about what happened in the bathroom because the worst – I mean we're just going to find out details about – A blumpkin. A self-blumpkin. <laughs> a dump a dilly. Is that what it's called? Uh, some, someone on the Adam Carolla show just casually referred to it as a dump a dilly and I a said, dump a dilly. It was Jake Steinfeld, Steinfield, the oh, like, bodybuilder guy. Yeah. That's what he calls it. Well, you know the key is is to say it casually. You have to say something like a dirty Sanchez or yeah. You know, you got to throw it away like you use it all the time. Mm-hmm. If you tee it up, it's not funny. Right. Um. So you you do stand up. You write for other shows. Mm-hmm. You have you do radio. You have your own show. You're an interviewer. You do a whole bunch of different things. The Fitz Dog Radio podcast is twice a week, and then the radio shows once a week on Howard Stern's channel on Sirius. And then I do stand-up two or three weekends a month. And then I uh, I hosted a TV show last year on the Speed Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, sold two scripts last year and staffed on a couple shows. What what scripts and what shows? Uh, I sold a show to ABC, a sitcom, that obviously didn't go. And then I sold a uh, game show to Nickelodeon. Which uh, the pro the, the pre- they were it was looking good, and then they got a new president. Mm. of the network and then everything just gets flushed do you take that hard when that happens that was tough because the show i was hosting and both those deals ended like the first week of december last year Mm -hmm. and i was kind of crushed because i can handle them one at a time Mm -hmm. but then you get to a certain point where all that shit and those were a year and you know a year of work each and then when they when they go away at once, you just feel spent. You feel mm-hmm. like you ran three races at the same time. And then you you just don't the, – the tendency is you want to pick yourself up and jump back in. And I took, I took six months off. Yeah. And I just – I did stand-up and I did the other stuff. But I didn't want to be near a television set for six months. Do, so Do you get bitter about the industry? 
I don't know that I allow myself to get bitter. I would say I get uh, frustrated, maybe resentful. But bitter to me means the end. Once you're bitter, you're done Mm -hmm. because you cease to use your energy in any kind of a creative way. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm totally self-analyzed or actualized in any way. I just... I'm I'm just like um, f- afraid of letting myself be bitter. Mm-hmm. Well, when now, what would be the difference between bitter and resentful, though? I'm trying to figure out if it's the end for me. I think bitter means you're resigned to the fact that there's hope, and I think that um, you mean that there isn't hope. Yeah, you're resigned to the fact that there is no hope. Right. Whereas resentful means um, there are things and people that you feel worked against you getting to where you wanted to be, which means that you're going to try another way. Mm -hmm. Like I just now look at it like I went to therapy yesterday and my shrink just said, look, you got to just, you got to always have a plan so that when something doesn't happen, you just say, okay, next. And you've got some other shit that you're like, just have, and I'd have that now. I've got Piles on my desk of what's the next thing I'm pitching, what's the next pro- – you know, what's the next thing I want to do on my podcast that's going to that's gonna push it along or mm-hmm. that's going to be fun for me? What's a video project that, that you know, and I, gotta fi- I just got a brand new video camera and I'm just psyched to play with it. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm trying not to look at it like I got to do this thing to promote and I just try to look at it as like, no, this shit is like you say you want to be on TV and you wait around for a deal to turn into a pilot and a show. I got a video camera for 500 bucks. I can do anything I want. I got video editing software. I got a fucking website. There's YouTube. I can do it right yeah. now. So what do you want to do? I Yeah, I have that too. Because like my, my dream is to have my own talk show on TV. Yeah. And then I think, but why why am I not just doing it myself? Because you wear a winter coat. Right now I am. It's weird. It would look weird on the show. Well, I'd take it off. Oh, okay. It'd be like casting couch. You know that this is not a real talk show. Well, now I know. Yeah, I know. Um, no, but you're right. Yeah. You could do it right in here. Christ, there's six cameras. I mean, you certainly have access to these cameras, right? Uh, I guess I do. Gary's nodding. I would say— Can if, these do close-ups? Huh. If I were you, and that now, I'm, now I'm my mother, the oh, human great. suggestion I box, know. I like suggestions. Set up a set in front of this board. Really mm. simple. You know, like Zach's— between two ferns, right. just a really simple green screen backdrop, set up the cameras, and you and I should be sitting on two chairs right now with a little table in between, and it would be the same show, but you would play it out to the camera a tiny bit. You know, you're right, because I've been thinking, all right, so this is my thought process. If I'm going to do this, then i got to find someone who's going to film it, and then i got to like find a guest for that. Like, as if it would be a whole different project than this. I should Same just project. use this. And then you, oh you know, God. when you sell Brilliant. a show, you're using a sizzle reel anyway. So say you take your 10 favorite interviews, yeah. you grab a minute from each one, you get a good editor, and you throw together a killer 10-minute sizzle reel of you with you know, some guests that you really like, some moments that really popped, and boom, you got yourself a talk show. You're right. That's so much easier than the way I was envisioning it, which was doing the whole thing separate and Don't from scratch. Don't reinvent the wheel. Now, would I have to let the people know ahead of time that Absolutely. we're filming this? Absolutely. I get, I get releases on my podcast yeah, that allow that. me to use the video that we shoot during it as well. But should I tell them ahead ahead of time so that they can— Yes. And let them know that it's, a, it's non-airing. It would never right, air right. on a TV show. 
So you think I should do that to get the sizzle reel part as opposed to uh, make little episodes and put them on YouTube? What episodes? You're doing a talk show, right? Episodes of my talk show that starts as a web show. No, no, no. You just want to show it to uh, people in the uh, yeah. industry. I do, except then there's all the, these people who are like, you know, you should start it on the web because blah, 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 No, blah. that's stupid. Why? Because it doesn't really get any traction. You yeah. know, it's, it's the bottom line is if you – like always Sunday in Philadelphia happened that way mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. You know, it hasn't happened again. Yeah. And and the truth is, like, you know, it's not going to be exactly – you want to give them the meat of the show, which is you talking to a person right. in your way. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff is window dressing that they're going to see through. They just want to see can you control an interview, can you be engaging, can you listen, all of which you can. And you just got to show them that and do it in the way where you've got the biggest name guests and you're doing it or or just moments that are really great. Okay. So like from this show, we could have when I asked about your brother and then when I asked about your period. And this moment right now. I think I would go with the Chinese feet. Well, you would because that's It's just the way they're kind of tan on top and then the sides get a lighter, like a lighter hue. You're just going to ignore the perfect nail bed? The perfect nail bed. You're right. The perfect nail bed. Yeah, not too sunken in but with definition. The perfect nail bed – could be both a reference to an actual fingernail or toenail, or it could be some kind of big mattress that looks like a nail. Do you go get pedicures? Or you do it yourself. Uh, I do it sometimes. I get pedicures, but usually I do it myself. Yeah, it'd be. But you know why? Because and th- you might not be into this because you're probably like a well pedicured lady. Yeah, I don't love the feeling of having someone like do all that stuff to my foot. I can imagine. Is it that you viscerally don't like the sensation the or you filing... don't like the feeling of a third world person having to be down on their knees scrubbing your toes? Both. Yeah. Uh, no, it's more the actual feeling though. I know I don't I don't look at it like uh, maybe I should, but I don't look at it like how degrading that you're on your hands and knees, you know, uh attending to my feet because it's like well, it's a job and and you know, they get paid and stuff. Um uh, and I think they probably have a passion for nail enamel. For toxic fumes in their face all day? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, no, it's more that the filing sometimes will actually make me a little queasy. Yeah, yeah, that would it's bum weirdly, me out. It's a weird vibration on your – it's just like – and on my fingernails too. I'll be like, Ugh, I don't like it. What about your toe cu- cu- cuticles? Do you push them back mm-hmm. on a regular basis? Probably not regular enough. Just the other day yeah. I, I did some of that, yeah. With a tool? Um, yeah, like an orange stick. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're called orange. St- I wonder if it's orange wood or something. Yeah. I don't know. You do it in the bathtub? N- uh, after the shower. You sit naked? <sighs> I mean, okay, I stand and I put my foot on either the edge of the bathtub or on the toilet. Naked? I had a towel on. Why? This is, why? Um, well, the camera. So... That's the moment for the scissor. <laughs> of all the things you do, though, like what is so, – okay, so I just admitted that my dream would be to have my own talk show. Yeah. What's yours? I would say the same thing. The same thing. Yeah, I would love the uh, the opportunity to like create it, um, write it, host it, book it, edit it. You know, just, you personally want to do all well, of this? Well, just to, ha- to oversee all aspects of the show. And then the moment uh, – and then you've done so much work that when you sit down with the guest – you can let 
let it be natural and real, but know that you've got all this stuff, all this these things that are written to fall back on yeah. and have a great sidekick to bounce off of and just be like a quarterback in the pocket in the middle of a game where you're just alive and you know your mind is working and there's a crowd that you're playing off of and you know the f- fame and all that it means nothing to me i could care less if people recognize me or anything like that i love that people come out and see my shows which is awesome um but I'm, i don't want to be somebody who's stopped in the street i just like the process of interviewing interesting people and writing monologue jokes and performing them that that would be like a dream um why do you want to do this on television then if it's not fame that's uh because as stand-up i think i'm a it's a visual performance for Mm -hmm. me and um i i like playing to you know the art of playing to a camera and off off the camera and I think uh, filling up the stage with with the controlled energy mm-hmm. where you're conducting from the cameras to the audience to the guests to the sidekick you're you're just conducting everything mm-hmm. in a in a confident way and and it's not, it's not only about just getting the laughs it's about just being in control of all those elements at once. Have you ever lost control of an interview? That I'm conducting or yeah, that I'm in? That you're conducting. Um well, I don't think, don't that, you, I don't think that's a bad thing. Question. I think it's a good thing to lose control of the interview. I think, you know, which means that you're maybe going into a place where you're not comfortable. And those are the moments that I find that people respond to the most. Like Mark Marin came on once and we really got into it. It was really awkward and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he was just on two nights ago and we kind of talked about it. Um, I've had people get put off by me asking a question that they didn't think was appropriate, mm-hmm. which I love also. I don't love it in the sense that I, I don't want a guest to feel uncomfortable, but I love that you got you got to then recreate the trust between you <laughs> right. for the rest of the interview. And, um, and then I had a woman come on once who was a Catholic, and I kind of – and she wrote a book about it, and I was kind of taking, taking apart her arguments, and then she got very upset, and I ended up taking the podcast down because she was mm-hmm. seen being such a fucking bitch about it. So and that was a great that was a great podcast, but you took it down. I took it down because I didn't like I disliked her so much <laughs> that I just wanted her out of my life. I wanted to give her no reason to ever contact me again. Yeah, um, what I was gonna say, uh, don't you bring a different energy to interviews that you are like when you're the guest versus when you're the host? Like, is that a different? Two different things for you? Yeah, I respect the host. I, I want them to lead the interview. And at the same time, I've been on the road doing morning radio interviews as a stand-up for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I go in, <clears throat> sometimes it's going to be a real novice. It's going to be some shock jock morning guy. He's, he's had seven cups of coffee and he's going to be in my face. And my job is to then gently take the reins from him mm-hmm. and run his own show for mm-hmm. him. And uh, and I don't. I never default to that. I do that out of self-preservation, and I can do it at any given time because it's very easy to just – well, like with you, when I, when I asked you about your, your, your toes, that's something that I would do the entire time. I like to do it a little bit when I'm being interviewed because I think it's – I think the hosts enjoy that. Like you enjoy I mean, that. I, sure. Yeah, it's kind of fun to have somebody suddenly ask about you because you'd never get to talk about yourself. Oh, I, I find opportunity. Gary is literally falling off his chair. 
saying Excuse you don't get me. to talk about yourself. You never yourself. get to talk about yourself. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you don't get to answer. You don't get to answer questions about I know, yourself. I know. I know what you mean. Just ignore. But me. but there's also times where um, yeah, I will become the host for the entire segment because the person is gonna. They're going to try to make me do my material or they're going to try to make me feel less than them, like they think they're funnier than me. Mm-hmm. And then you have to sort of like alpha – got to alpha male the room a little bit. Um, that actually reminds me of something we were talking about recently. Do you consider yourself an alpha male? Yes. Do you think all performers are? No. Okay. Okay. Different question now. Like look at someone like Maria Bamford. Do you think all male performers are? No, no. I mean, even you look at someone like Doug Benson. You know, a lot of these guys are, a lot of the alternative type guys are very laid back mm-hmm. and very much like they're your friend. I think people feel like non-threatened by them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my school of comedy, like the guys that really work the road, I think you sort of have to be more aggressive to keep to keep control of rooms. Who are the hosts that you um, admire, or respect, or look up to? Like, who are some? Because I know that when I was doing. Um, when I was doing news in New York, the producers were like, you know, Ryan Seacrest. Like, there's a guy who he hmm. has presence. He can control. The, he does everything. Like, all about Seacrest. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't know if I do I get it with him or not. Um, he's very good at what he does. But I've never thought I need more of that. Seacrest no, that's in horrible. Me. That's horrible. That's the worst example of a host to me because yeah. nothing vulnerable comes through whatsoever he is the least vulnerable person you could ever see well see that's what i think except i was actually just talking with someone who had worked with him and i was saying we were talking about insecurity and vulnerability and putting that out there and being real and she was saying that on his radio show do you ever listen to it no i don't either but i think evidently he will talk like he used to be fat and there's like some other thing oh, okay. he'll talk about that on the show all right that but no when i but when i see him you know, hosting any of the shows, to me, I don't. There's no cracks in that veneer. Yeah, you know who's a very good host? This is a guy named uh, Kamau Bell. I this is the second second time I've heard that name. In, w uh, Kamau Bell. He's mm-hmm. got a talk show on. Um, I want to say FX, but it may not be FX. It's uh, he's. I think it is FX. If it is it FX, he just got picked up for another season. Yeah, See, it's Chris, really good. Yeah, Chris Rock is executive producing the show, and he's a cool black dude I've known from San Francisco for years. And it's just you, you know basic show clips and then talk about them, but it's really his voice, and he's not pushing it, and he's not dying for laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. Kimmel's the best at uh, I think being uh, the new generation of hosts. You know, Letterman is. The best ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, obviously that's uh, – he's not – I don't think he feels like it's his prime any longer. Um, and then I don't know. I do like the way Zach does between two ferns. And I used to like when when Martin Short would do that uh, Jiminy Glick thing. Oh, yeah. I love Martin I like Short. that kind of uh, talk show where you're kind of making fun of the talk show. And at the same time, you are getting – you're getting the, the guests to be completely different than, they, than you've ever seen them be before. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. I mean, Colbert, same thing. You're getting you're getting a guy who's making fun of of Bill O'Reilly in that case, right? Um, so, I guess there's two different kinds. I like. I think I kind of like that the best. But then, in terms of straight up, just great hosts, I think Kimmel's really amazing. What do you think of Conan? I don't like it. Why? I don't think he gets out of his own way when he's interviewing the guests, mm-hmm. and I, and I think the shtick of being um, the the new the newbie. 
I think after all these years, it's it's a little thin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Adam's a really great host in the sense that he's uh, he does not ever let a bad. There's no dead air. Yeah. For the amount of hours that guy is on, and I know he doesn't plan it. It's fucking mind-boggling that that guy can be as prolific. And um, you know, and some people say, like Sarah Silverman said at one point that. Uh, that coming on a show is like listening to Adam interview himself. <laughs> but the truth is, it's a certain. I think the show just requires the guest to, to, you know, assert themselves a little bit, well, and then he really supports the what they're saying. That's the thing. I, you know, I actually, um, I met her, and she was saying, "How do you ever get a word in?" Mm. And I joked that um, I just talk over or, or under him. Yeah. But I was thinking, and I've heard that from. A, a few different people, this thing that when you come on his show, you, like, you know, he doesn't let you speak. And I was thinking that w- when I'm a guest, if I were to come into a situation like that, I would just force my way in. It's like and I that's was talking about on morning radio. Do. It's just yeah. like what I was saying. It's like you have to read the room and read the interviewer and say, all right, how do I, how do I get on this moving train? Right. You're not the train. The host is the train. Mm-hmm. So I think with him it's like, yeah, it's like a cook. You know, some people you go in and they're cooking in their kitchen. You can I help out? And they're like, no, 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 I got it. But then if you grab some carrots and a cutting board and you start slicing, then they're going to use those carrots. Like you got to make yourself useful in their yeah. kitchen. Yeah, I remember once I was holding my niece when she was a baby and she was like crying and squirming a little. And my because um, babies love me. And my brother said it's counterintuitive, but you actually have to hold her hold tighter. Her tighter. Yeah, because you think the squirming means you should be you should. Like your first instinct is, oh, I'm holding her too tight or something. And no, because they're used to being in a womb where they right, have no room to move. Right. There's this dynamic I th- that I've noticed that happens with Adam, which is if someone comes in and doesn't really talk, he'll he'll fill the air more and more yeah. and more and more because he thinks he's not. He thinks he has to. So then that'll make the person even shrink more because they think that they he they're not supposed to talk. Yeah. Whereas if someone comes in, if he feels like he can get what he needs from the other people, then he will begin to give them more space, I think. He's also pretty good about reading you. Like if I've got something to say, I don't wave my hand, but I sort of move towards them. I don't know. Whatever it is subliminally, he can read that I've got something to say mm-hmm. and he'll kind of he'll kind of wrap up his thing and, and, and lead you in. And then if it's not good – he can shit on you for it, but in a way that gets you out of a bad moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like uh, – it's it's really like it's up to you to be a good guest. And I think that some guests come in and they really just they, – they think that they're supposed to be spoon-fed and teed up. And I don't think that Adam's show – it's not a press junket show. Mm-mm. It's not a hug and plug as we used to say on Ellen. It's more about uh, – it's his show. And like I've I've done Stern like fifty or sixty times, and what I learned from that show was like, don't make it about you because some comics will come in, you know, and they'll be great. They'll have like a crazy big story, and the whole show will become about them for like forty five minutes or an hour, and then he'll thank them for coming, and they won't be on again for like you know a year, year and a half. Yeah, and then I'll come in. I used to go in like once a month. Because I never came in with the it's all about me story, which isn't to say that's bad. It's just I'd rather be the singles hitter, mm-hmm. you know, come up at the top and just just th- lob in some jokes about what he's already doing and make the show better, but not make it about me. And that's how I feel like on Adam. I, g- I generally don't 
I don't try to come in and dominate. I try to, you know, let him do what he's doing. And how can I, how can I just sort of like throw, throw stuff in? Mm-hmm. How, uh, n- not talking about Adam, but just as a performer, how do you know when you've done well or not? On something, because I'm thinking that when like I like on an interview, yeah, like when I used to, you know, a lot of the TV stuff I would do afterwards, it was always like, you know, did I do okay or whatever. Those questions that at the time I thought might be eliciting honest answers, and now I realize they always tell you you did well, even if you didn't do well. Yeah, uh, and so that you know, oftentimes I'd walk out with a feeling in the pit of my stomach that I didn't do well. But then it would turn out, oh, I was worried for nothing. I did do well, and they asked me back right away. Or like, yeah. oftentimes my my gut feeling about how I did is still not that good. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Th- I honestly have done so many just from being on the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually when I go on the road, I'll go in, you know, Thursday morning and do four or five radio stations. Friday morning, another three stations. And uh, from doing that for so many years and Stern for so long. I, I literally just walk away. I don't I don't That's really smart. think about it. What about unless something goes really wrong, and then I'll kick myself. Like the last time when we were in, um, where did we just do a gig? Brea. Brea. And at one point, Adam goes, uh, "Does anyone even go to the post office anymore?" And I stupidly went, "I just went yesterday." And he was like, "Thanks, premise killer Fitzsimmons or whatever." Greg. Fits shits on my point. Yeah, I exactly. Think that's what he you. And and I and then he he was, hasn't stopped talking about it since. Shut up. I'm just kidding. And I realized, like, God, that was that's like the first rule of improv is you never negate, and especially when a guy's. T- and so I definitely like walked away from that one, going like, all right, just you gotta. It's like the fundamentals of any sport or whatever. You gotta always go back to the fundamentals, you know. And I had broken one of those rules. And I didn't feel like, oh, Adam's pissed about it or I fucked up the – I just felt more like, OK, Greg, just remember, remember, you mm-hmm. don't do that. It's a fucking awful feeling though. Like, yeah. Put yourself in my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, when you're going and you're spontaneous and you're reacting in the moment, like every now and then something – You break a rule. Yeah. Or it's just – I was thinking this morning, I was thinking that so much of the job is just being really plugged into the tone and to where he is. Being in the moment. Because from, cause one minute he doesn't want anything funny because he's making a point. And then he'll want something funny. And it's like if, you, if you're not totally reading that on, like a, in a, on a gut level, like um, he'll kill you. But I also think that he likes to have different types of guests because yeah. it does break up that f- – you don't want a formula. Yeah, and I do yeah, think it's I, important I should, that people break that up. Sometimes. I should say that I'm speaking. I was talking about your role, my role. Yeah, yeah. for the yeah. guest, it's, it's a different thing. No, it's true. And what Teresa did before you was similar. I think that you guys are both really talented at. Um, I always think of it as like riding. You know how, like, when they rob a stagecoach, there's always like the the. the Horses that are running next to the train, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's a time where they jump yes. on, yeah, and that's sort of like what you right. guys are able to do, right. which is a very people don't realize how fucking hard that is to do because Thank not you. only do you have to be prepared <laughs> to say something sharp and good when it's time, you got to know when it's time, mm-hmm. which means you're sitting on a lot of thoughts you might have said that get burned oh, yeah. because it wasn't the right time to say them. Oh yeah, and, and you, you have let to let go it, of yeah them. you that you have to yes. There's so many things that would have been perfect if I had said them a few seconds before. How do you feel but... about living in the legacy of Teresa? Do you feel compared to her? Um, yeah, I did a lot more at the beginning, um, but but now not so much. But I mean, I think it's just no matter what, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. 
um, I think we should do Just Me or Everyone based on the time. Just, okay, let's do it. Sometimes I ponder on something Mm. I have thought or done. Yeah. Is it just me or everyone? Everyone. All right. Jonathan Vance says, whenever I see parents out after 11 with their school-aged children, I judge them. Um, That's racist. <laughs> I I don't think I do. It depends. But I know that like after the that after the horrible Aurora shooting, a lot of people were like, "What were you doing taking your kids to the, see that movie at midnight?" Yeah, you know? that seemed that seemed to like yeah. a bad cuz that was a dark, hard movie. Yeah. It wasn't about the time as much as the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And that's my only thing is movies. I get really bummed out when I see kids in an inappropriate movie. It, it takes me right out of the movie. Inappropriate because of sex or violence or either. Any of it. Any, anytime there's a movie that clearly is not meant for a six, seven-year-old, you just feel like you see their loss of innocence at that moment. Yeah. I took my kid to see James Bond and he's 12. And I felt like, all right, that was kind of just right. He's just ready for that. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom took my sister and me to see About Last Night. Do you remember? Do you remember that yeah, movie? That wasn't made for children, right? Not that it was dirty, or it just—it's just based on you have to have lived more life to get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this woman like turned to her and was like, "This is not appropriate for them," or whatever. And she—I I don't know what she said, but I don't—I don't know if the woman was being bitchy or helpful. But anyway, but my memory is just that I—I I just don't think I understood it. But I don't think it. Yeah, it was just a poor choice. Yeah, I don't think she knew. Yeah. Um. Do I do love the Brat Pack though? Okay. Uh. Let's see. Jonathan Vance also says, when eating spaghetti, I twirl the pasta around my fork and I'm contemptuous of people who just slurp it down. Um, I don't have strong feelings about it, actually, which is weird. I have a lot of strong feelings. I respect the real Italians that use the, the tablespoon. Yeah. I, I always feel like that's a strong move. And then they've, they've also got the piece of bread in their hand. Like mm-hmm. There's, a, there's the an art. art to eating spaghetti. Yeah. Okay. Dan the Dodge. I get super annoyed at couples who sit next to each other instead of across from each other at a restaurant. Um, you know, I, I only recently realized that there kind of is a rule that you should be sitting across. No, you know what? I realized if you're like setting the table for a dinner party or whatever, that couples should be across from each other, not next to each other. I think. Yeah. It's easier to talk to the person. That's an, I, that's something I, I never give thought to. And I know there really is a good design to the dinner party seating Mm -hmm. arrangements with couples. I don't know. I think it, it's not a, it's not hard and fast because if you've got a couple that are both outgoing, you may want to split them up to keep both sides of the table alive. And if there's a couple that is, if you get, I don't want to necessarily sit next to my wife because I get to talk to her all the time. Um, but, it's hard. It's it's tough, and at the same time, I do respect it when when the host says you're here, you're here. Like I love that they thought about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, what I hate is like I recently went to a dinner party, and there was three couples, and one guy is super famous, and he's an old friend, and I never see him, and I really wanted to sit next to him. But I also didn't want to seem like I was the guy that was ponying to sit next to him. Right. It's that weird thing is when your friend gets super famous, everything gets weird. Mm-hmm. Do, do you not say who it is? No, nah, I don't want to say who it is. So, All right. So I ended up sitting across the table and barely talked to him. And, uh, and it really fucking sucked because they didn't arrange it. They didn't mm-hmm. arrange it. They should have. Some of my most f- times I feel most frustrated 
are after some kind of gathering of a group of friends at a restaurant where there's like a big round table and the person that you want to talk to is across and you're in between two people that you don't want to talk to but you have yeah. to talk to them. And then if the and then either if you're trying to have a conversation with the person who's far away where you have to yell and then the next day your voice is scratchy, that makes me really pissed. But just that feeling of like, Ugh, I'm going to talk to these people and I really – I, I hate it. It's also hard I because also hate people. five is the number where you can have one conversation at the table and then there's a point of diminishing returns. Yep. Six people, it's, it has to splinter into yes. two conversations. Yes. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a tough number because two couples, that's boring. Yeah. That's not enough. Mm-mm. And five, it's tough. Then you need the fifth wheel guy to show up, you know, your gay friend. Yeah. That's a good point. I, that whole, the whole uh, hosting a good mix of people dinner party thing, that's an art that I, I, have, I have no skill where that's concerned or interest in it, though. Well, I have interest in it because when I first moved to L.A., we used to uh, – I didn't know anybody in L.A. except all of my New York friends that had mm-hmm. moved out. And I quickly learned that if somebody lived in Silver Lake and someone was in Santa Monica, they might as well be in two separate states. So I decided – me and my wife had gotten married and we had, we had gotten two waffle irons. And so I said, waffles on Sunday before football. It started. And every Sunday, 20 people would show up. And I would make the batter and one person would bring fruit, someone would bring orange juice, someone would bring bagels. And everyone just threw the food on a table. We put football on. And it was like some of my favorite people. And it went on like that for a year till we had our first kid. And so we, were, we moved to a bigger house. We're restarting that now. And I love the big, the big party where you, people are sitting eating food off mm-hmm. their own lap and whatever. There's no fucking manners. It's just hanging out. That's yeah, what I like. That sounds really fun. What, why did you move out here? I'm in show business. But, I mean, was there a specific job that brought you out or was it just I'd to had increase a, your chances? I had, of- like, a, some deals and I had uh, – I was starting to audition for stuff. So I found myself having to fly out more mm-hmm. and more often. And so um, I felt like uh, my wife was literally like, you're gone all the time. And I was like, well, we should move to L.A. And we she- weren't married yet, but we were about to be married. Mm-hmm. And she was into the idea. She was. She worked at the time for Julia Roberts. And so Julia was in New York and she she was like, well, I've done this for long enough. I want to move forward in entertainment doing this. She was in development basically. Mm-hmm. So she was into the idea of going to Los Angeles. Hmm. Tic Tac Ninja says, if I knew someone – if I know someone is within earshot of the bathroom, I time my farts with the flushing of the toilet. I mean, sure, don't we all? Actually, no, I don't, come to think of it. I mean, I think I'd ideally I would. I don't fart, you guys. I would be worried. that. Yeah, that's weird, though, because what happens if you're not done? Yeah. <laughs> what, if someone hears the flush and then you're in there for like five more minutes and there's another flush. Yeah, I that's for bo- yeah, The that's double flush. For that's, that's weird. The double flush. I'd rather somebody hear me fart than I want them to hear me about... fart. You know why? We're... Okay, we all fart. Let's just put that on the table. We all fart. Some of us fart in front of other people. To me, the most polite way to fart is in the bathroom. So what I'm showing you in the bathroom is that I'm a gentleman. This is literally the only appropriate place to fart. Isn't it sad, though, that we feel we can't fart audibly in a bathroom? I mean, you apparently are not vexed with that. Well, the urinal especially because it's all dudes (laughs) and you're standing up. Right. You know, if you're farting on the toilet, 
it can trap the air, and the next guy that comes in is sitting on your fart gas. But the urinal is coming straight out. Have you ever had this thought? You're in the bathroom, and you can hear people outside talking. You're like, oh, God, if I can hear them, they can hear me. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a good thought. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a tough – it's a conundrum, really. Yeah. And it's all based on uh, – I think uh, Kierkegaard said that all bad art – kitsch, bad art mm-hmm. – is based on the denial of the existence of shit. And that only through coming to terms with the fact that th- there are real things that we keep pretending aren't there. Mm-hmm. If, if you're buying into that, you can't make art. Were you a fart major? Were you a philosophy major? I had a – well, I was an English major with oh. a minor in history, and a lot of that had to do with philosophy. I was an English major. Were you? Yes, I was. Favorite writer? Um, God, I don't know if I have one. I, I really like T.S. Eliot and Emily Dickinson. T.S. Eliot once said, uh, ours is in the trying. The rest is none of our business. I also like Shakespeare. That, that I one know that... Dirt. I love Shakespeare. <laughs> Who's your favorite? Um, I like uh, Milan Kundera mm-hmm. a lot. I like um, Kurt Vonnegut a lot. I mm-hmm. like Hemingway, uh, Steinbeck. I like a lot of the great the Faulkner. I like the great American novelists. Mm, I couldn't. I could not get into Faulkner. No. Maybe I need to go back. Yeah, read As I Lay Dying, and uh, it's the first example of cubism in writing, where each chapter has a different first-person narrator, yeah, same I like, story. I really like inventive structure. You know, I like, and I like a lot of the uh, modern and postmodern stuff, too. I like all of it. I never read anything anymore, but I do like it. You know what but, I hated as an English major was hmm. having to read the, uh, like, um, uh, the romantics Oh, yeah. I like Keats, though, but he's really? kind of maybe one of the only ones I like. He's probably the most accessible. Yeah. Calling me dumb. I got to go back and read Keats. Yeah. He was Irish, right? Uh, yeah, I believe. Okay. Or yeah. am I thinking of Yeats? I think they both were. Okay. I could be wrong about Keats. I could Died be wrong young. about a lot of it. But I, I bullshit a lot. Truth is beauty. Beauty is truth. I mean, it's, it's yeah. beautiful and true. Um, Much like the denial of the existence of shit. But not into Blake. Oh, I Really? How do you not like Blake? He misspells Tiger. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, or you so say you're not into Wordsworth? I no, he's the main one. You're not Byron into. Wordsworth, Shelley. Longfellow, Shelley. I that was the only class I got a bad grade in in English in college. Yeah. I just so what could did not crack you, now? It. What did you think you were going to do with that major? I really never had any solid. You know, I had ideas of what I might be able to do to make money, you know, like go into advertising or something. But um, I really never took anything seriously except for comedy. Mm-hmm. So I was – I think that my father – he gave me the best advice I ever got was like, yeah, do stand up but write. And that has floated me in this business because, you know, I've always had the ability to turn down a stand up gig because I had writing work and I could turn down. I mean, I didn't want to write on a certain TV show so I could go do stand up. Mm-hmm. And it really is a, that's the advice I give every young comic is write your ass off. You know, get get a right. Once you get one TV writing job, you're a TV writer. And your agent as a stand up, it's so much easier to get a writing job when you're a successful stand up. So I think being an English major was uh, like a, um, a, a thing that my dad supported because he knew I was going to go into stand-up. What was your first TV writing job? Uh, Bill Maher, Politically Incorrect. And how did you get that? 
I was hired to do the warm-up, the audience warm-up, and then Bill saw me doing my jokes, and he thought that I was a good writer, and so he gave me a shot. Cool. Susan L. 10, when driving on a quiet road, I mentally review how I would secure the crime scene for the police if I found a dead body. I don't do that, <laughs> but that's responsible. Yeah. I, um, when, I carry yellow tape with me. That's smart. And I carry, rubber gloves. I, I should carry chalk. Chalk is good? Yeah. Okay. Newly one love. Just me or everybody. After a few drinks, realize the profoundness of the hold on lyrics. Oh, damn it. I, that is the kind of song that gets stuck in my head forever, and I don't want it there, and it's going to happen. So we're What are some move of the on. lyrics? Oh, no. Come on. Um, someday somebody's going to make you want to turn around and say goodbye. Till then, baby. I forget. Mm. I actually, I've never thought about the profundity of those lyrics, and I'm not going to. Oh, it's in my head. Oh, God. Kyle Miller, look up the meaning to a word and then hear that word all the time. Was I just never paying attention before? Yes, that happens to me all the time. And I wonder, is everyone suddenly using this word, or was I just not aware of it before? Well, you know what word I used? Uh, I was interviewing Mark Maron the other night, and I, um, I forget the context of it, but I used the word Denouement. 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 Mm-hmm. And uh, which I learned in English because it's a, you know, I think with Shakespeare, yeah. there's always the denouement, which if you don't know is sort of like the, um, the cli- it's just after the climax right. sort of. And, uh, and then he later used the word in, in the interview, like not referencing me, but. Yeah. And just, you're like, do you, is this your go to word? No, or? it's just like right. I put it in, in his subconscious and then it yeah. got regurgitated. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain words that I have to look up all the time because I know, like, I, my brain cannot retain the meaning. Like, ins- insouciant? Hmm, I don't know it. I look it up probably like once a year. I still don't quite know what it means. Insouciant. Yeah. I N. S-O-U-S-C-I-E-N-T. Wait, in sushi restaurant? Yes. No, it's in sushi. I think it means, Gary, can you look it up? I, I might be misspelling it. Is it like insoluble? You, you can't dissolve it? No, it's like, um, maybe it's like pushy or whiny or... Um, or Let's play uh, a game called Vocabulary. Okay. I'll give you a word. You have to try to answer it, and then you give me a word. All right. Okay. What are we uh, going to do on your podcast, though? Wait, what's what's the word again? Insouciant. You it's, sounded it so says, dumb just now when you said that. I know. Guy. I'm an idiot. It's, it says carefree or unconcerned. Insouciant. Eh, it's not so what I meant. So would be someone who's uptight. Light. Oh, really? You're so sushient. I thought it's a pejorative, though. Yeah, it is like that. Okay. Let's do your vocab thing. Okay. Um Dane, D-E-I-G-N. Mm. I, like, I would not deign to do that. Um, but, right, so I have to define it, though. Yeah. That's a hard one to define. I would not deign to take, uh, would not, like, make yourself open to the opportunity of, to deign, to to consider an opportunity is not the right it is in the ballpark of what it means. Gary, um, give us the exact definition. Dane. Consider. Make to yourself... think it is appropriate to one's dignity like or condescend. Right. Yeah. So, see. I was I'll give I was you 50% it. on that. Okay. Oh, now I have to give you one? Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to think about it while we talk about this. Mitch Serp, when a server messes up my order, I eat what I'm given instead of correcting them. Um, it depends, depends for me. If I ask for the dressing on the side, anything that has to do – anything where if I eat what they give me, it's going to – it's going to mean calories that I didn't want or something like that, then I, I will probably ask them to redo it. Like, like that's a, a, a main one is if I ask for the dressing on the side and they bring it with dressing, then I will probably ask them to um, – I'll, I'll tell them. But if it's something that I can pick off or something. Yeah, like yeah. I'm allergic to carrots. So if they give me a salad and I ask for no carrots, I'll pick the carrots out. But if they put spinach in something, you know, like a cooked thing with spinach, I got to send it back because I'm allergic to it. Mm-hmm. However, if it's a meal that I don't feel that strong, like say I ordered, uh, you know, mushroom ravioli and they bring me out uh, sausage ravioli, I'm going to eat it, but I'm going to point it out because I'm cheap because I would expect that taken off the menu. Okay, your word is wanderlust. Wanderlust, uh, somebody who can't uh, stay in one place. Interesting. You got itchy feet. I don't know that wanderlust is a person. No, I no, think... not a person. It's oh, the, oh. No, it's the feeling uh, that okay. somebody has that they, they're not happy yeah. staying in one place. Right. Yeah. A Garrett. strong desire to travel. Okay. Listless. No, it's not your turn. Sorry. Um, uh, ocular. O-C-U-L-A-R. Referring to the eye. Gary? Of or connected with the eyes or vision. Give you 100% on that one. Okay. Yours is actually laconic. Lazy, tired. Not lazy, tired, weary, fatigued. Uh, I think... It is actually just someone who doesn't say much. Using very few words. Oh, nice. sorry. Okay. Eh. Got that one. Um, yeah, but I, that was kind of a trick because people always think it means the other thing. I yeah. do too, usually. Okay. Um, the similitude. <laughs> what? The si- why are you? Why are you? What, what is this? How did the show like somehow devolve into a vocab match? Yeah. I don't know. He, he sensed that I don't know how to interview, so he decided to take it over. Verisimilitude. Verisimilitude. Verisimilitude, or is verisimilitude a word? Verisimilitude. V i s c i m i l i t u d e. Verisimilitude. I've never heard of this word, so I'm just going to have to figure it out. And I think it means. Um, vissimilitude, vissimilitude, something that looks like something else. Gary? The appearance of being real or true. What's verisimilitude then? Isn't that? No, he's saying V-I-S-C-I-M-I-L-I-T-U-D-E. Or vissimilitudinous. I'm getting the same thing. Bingo, I made it up. Okay, (laughs) let's go back to your emails. Uh, Well, actually, okay, you want to do Hey, Go Fuck Yourself? Okay, we can do that. Or, or, sorry, yeah, all right. Hey, Go Fuck Yourself. Okay. Allison, I adore you on Adam's podcast, but I was very surprised about your cavalier attitude towards GMOs and Prop 37. 
That's genetically modified organisms. A very cogent theory explaining the explosion of autoimmune disorders is that our gut ecology cogent, my ass, is that our gut ecology and immune systems are going haywire due to GMOs and other changes in our food supply. Parentheses, read Wheat Belly. And that's not the name of an author. It's a book. Read Wheat Belly to learn what a toxic plant that wheat has become due to this sort of tinkering. Your opinion is particularly disappointing because you suffer from endometriosis, most likely an autoimmune disorder, a condition which has caused you and many others great suffering and that may very likely rob you of your chance to have a child. Celiac. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Autism, Crohn's, MS, diabetes 1, look into the rates. We're becoming a nation of chronically ill people and our compromised food supply is the number one culprit. Please don't be so nonchalant about such an important issue. And it's Mendel, by the way, not Joseph Mengele. All right. Here are the various reasons you need to go fuck yourself. Let me back up, though. I appreciate that you're a listener and I appreciate that you seem like a nice person. And so this is sort of uh, uh, maybe an abuse of the hey, go fuck yourself, because I like to reserve that for people. Who maybe truly, just to fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go because it's a it's a gentle hey, go fuck yourself in the song. But here's the thing. I said Mendeleev, and I meant Mendel. Mendeleev is the periodic, periodic table of the elements guy. Mendel is the guy who uh, tinkered with the genes of peas by crossbreeding them. Uh, and that is tinkering with their genes, by the way, people. Do you think seedless things were uh, invented by his holiness? No. Um, anyway, Me and my though, friends used to cross our peas in Boy Scout camp. Did you make them fuck? Pea streams. Oh right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that was that it. was dueling jokes. Oh oh yeah. Mine wasn't. It doesn't. I get what you're saying though. Okay. Thank you. Just, anyway, but I, the idea that I actually accidentally said Mangala, I know that that's not the guy. So come on, go fuck yourself. But also, um, this idea that well, all for her to reference the fact for her to just nonchalantly say that I might not be able to have kids is. Um, Pretty shitty. And um, the idea that I have arrived at my thoughts about GMOs because I haven't done any research and I'm just, you know, just nonchalantly thinking that, um, go fuck yourself because I've done a lot of reading. Have you guys done reading? I mean, you've read a few things, but in general, that idea that if someone, if someone you like disagrees, I find there to be a lot of, lately I've encountered this a lot, which is that People, if they don't agree with you, they think that you just haven't done research. And it's actually a very sweet thought because it's like they like you and they want you to be on the same page as them. So they think that it's just, oh, if you just read a few things, you'd come around. But no, I actually uh, actually know what I'm talking about. So all you motherfuckers can just go fuck yourself. But thanks for your nice email. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Greg, do you need to tell anyone to fuck themselves? Um, no, because I don't want to prepare. I don't want anyone sending me nasty shit. So, do you get some nasty shit? Not horribly. Na- you know what I just hate is when you. It's like you fucking spell something wrong on Twitter, and people jump down your throat, or like the Mendelssohn thing. It's like I put out so much fucking content: two podcasts a week, a radio show, a bunch of tweets, videos, and it's like. You know, and it's like instead of people just going, hey, thanks for all the free shit, they got to find something and jump on you about it. And it's just very passive aggressive and petty and very mm-hmm. uncreative. I agree. All right. Well, Greg Fitzsimmons, 
This has been super fun. Thank you for coming on my show. What should uh, people look for and where can they find you and whatnot? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and it really felt great. I think you're a really, really good host, really Thank capable you. and fun and smooth and, yeah. Um, I guess check me out at Fitzdog Radio twice a week. We just had uh, just had Corolla on. Andy Richter went up yesterday. Uh, Judd Apatow is just on. The Zach Galifianakis. W. Kamel Bell. W. Kamel Bell is on there. Um, Kumail Nanjiani. Wow. Um, and then uh, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been a good run. David Tell, check those out. And then uh, Fitzdog.com is my website. And on Twitter. At Greg Fitz Show. Okay. And if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, which you are because they have everything. Oh, I love buying stuff on Amazon. I know. Why are you plugging Amazon? I go to Amazon all the time. Well, you know why? Because if you want to help out this show, and it, this doesn't cost you anything extra, if you just click through the banner on my website at allisonrosen.com, it helps the show. doesn't cost but you I, anything extra. But I don't want to spend anything extra. But it won't cost you anything extra. That's the beauty of it. It's exactly the same price, but it sends a few nickels our way. Jesus, I'll Thanks, give Greg. you. I'll do that anytime. Also, I did uh, a live version of this show at the LA Podcast Festival. My guests were Doug Benson and Greg Proops. And finally, that is now available in the iTunes store. It's $1.99. It's... um. But someone said it's it's really worth like two dollars and eighteen cents. Wait, how do you sell your podcast? Oh my god! Is it, it a pain is in the such, ass. Oh, <laughs> there are no words for how fucking ridiculously <sighs> insane our experience has been trying to get this into the iTunes store. I think you have to call it an audiobook, don't you? No, it's an album. Oh, but it's, it's an uh, album. yeah. yeah we'll, you can't call it a podcast. Oh boy, Gary and I, we're going to need a lot of. Um, that's a Therapy. whole other podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. Okay. It's, it's a really. We, we can he do won't an do hour. it again. We might. No, we probably will. We, probably we might will. use a different service. I mean, it just has been it. We we put it up, hopefully on Halloween. Yeah, and it just went live. Oh and God. there's like at every step. Uh, uh, anyway, go check it out though. It's lovely. Um, thank you, Greg. This was very fun. And um, and listen to me on Fitzdog Radio because I'm going to be on uh, on Greg's show like yeah. in a minute. Okay, I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Thank you for choosing the Allison Rosen Show.
This is Corolla Digital.